146 here. And once again, it's a presidential election year. And by the middle of November, uh, approximately half the people in the nation will be in a state of depression because of the outcome. <laughs> the other half will be elated and hopeful that the recycled president will usher in a bright new dawn of employment, prosperity, and blessings from God. But Psalm 146 warns us not to trust in princes or the son of man. Some believe that Ezra the prophet wrote this psalm. Uh, they believe that it came in response to some events that were taking place in Israel during the rebuilding of the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians uh, almost 600 years before the time of Christ. And as they were rebuilding, many non-Jewish leaders in the area began to oppose them. They even wrote to King Darius to have the process stopped. And Ezra recognized that it was only by the power of God that they could succeed in rebuilding as a nation. When it was all said and done, they knew that they needed to trust in the Lord. And for us, when it's all said and done and our commander-in-chief is sworn in, it's important for us as God's people to remember who it is that we trust in. Who do we place our hope in? We must fight the temptation to give in to despair because of the decisions that we have made as Americans. And on the other hand, we cannot get too excited if the election results come down in our favor of the thing that we wanted to happen. And there's one main reason that, uh, that's given in verse 3 here why we should not trust human beings for our salvation. It's because they are mortal. President John F. Kennedy was in office for a little under three years when his life was cut short at the age of 46. And so all of his campaign promises and his plans for reform were halted because of his mortality. Verse 3 here says that the day a man dies, all of his plans perish. And as I think about all the upcoming debates that I'm sure we'll be exposed to, it makes me wonder, what kind of campaign would Jesus run? What would his campaign promises be? What would his platform be? Well, this psalm actually tells us. And I have five different aspects of his platform that I would like to present to you this morning. So, no matter who you vote for in the coming election, I think the things that Jesus promises us in his word will encourage you more and lift up your spirits. And so first, he promises us a clean track record. One of the biggest accusations that's get thrown around during campaigns is that the opponent is not honest. They're lying to you. They're either skewing numbers or blatantly misleading the public. In fact, both of the front runners in this current election are in trouble <laughs> with the courts. They all have things going on behind the scenes that need to be dealt with before the elections come. But the candidates are typically not content with just focusing on one another. They want to dig up all the failures, all the lying, all the things that happened in the other party, all the way back to George Washington if they could. Well, unfortunately, George Washington was not affiliated with a particular party, so they can't go back that far. But no accusation of lying will stand against the Lord Jesus. In fact, Numbers 23, 19 tells us that God cannot lie. He never changes. And we can depend on him because he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. 
Some political candidates actually have been known to change their opinion in the midst of their political career, and that's typical. But God does not grow in his understanding. He never said, hey, you know, it just occurred to me. Because he knows all things, and his words are completely accurate. Not only that, he has the power to carry out all of his promises. His track record is perfect. 100% of what he says he will do gets done. Now, this is impossible with politicians in this world because no matter how hard they want something to happen and no matter how hard they work to achieve it, they are still dependent on the cooperation of other politicians, other people that they're working with. Also, unforeseen events like 9-11 or wars can end up upending their entire presidential term. But nothing takes God by surprise, and this is very reassuring as a believer. And so I would vote for Jesus based on this alone. Number two, he promises us prison reform. One of the most corrupt times in American history, in politics, was the Roaring Twenties. Prohibition was in effect until 1933, but the mob had its hand in many police departments and court systems. The movie The Untouchables depicts a time in Chicago when Al Capone had control over most of the police departments as well as key judges. Justice was not being served because judges were being either bribed or their families threatened. But Jesus cannot be bribed. The devil tried to do that, didn't he? During the 40 days in the desert while he was fasting, he tried to bribe him with the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down before me. Jesus can't be threatened. No threat can touch him because he has conquered death. It has no power over him. He is truly untouchable. And because of this, he will bring to justice those who have been denied it. He will set the prisoner free that has been held captive. And not only this, he will also free those who have been held captive to the curse of sin and these bodies. And so those who trust in him, as the old hymn says, will be like a bird from prison bars have flown. They will fly away. He will make sure that that person who has swindled you will be held accountable because all things will come to light in his glorious kingdom. All truths will be told. All lies will be revealed. After God has judged the earth and the glorious reign of Jesus begins on the new earth, there will be no need for prisons, no need for courts ever again, because we will be walking in the light of our Savior. Not only that, there will be no desire for sin to plague us again. Once you leave this life and go on to be with the Lord forever, you'll never be tempted again to sin. You'll walk in complete freedom. And I really love this plank in Jesus' political platform. Number three, he promises us an improved medical system. One of the major policies that most presidents are determined to reform is health care. And whether or not you agree with the manner in which they're trying to do that, most people in America really believe that there are some major improvements that need to happen, especially in the area of affordability. And this uh, issue will assuredly, uh, assuredly be on the top 10 of issues that will need to be addressed in the upcoming campaign. 
But if we look here at verse 8, we see that Jesus has completely a different approach to health care reform. Instead of trying to free up money so that people can afford it, he eliminates the need for it altogether. He who made the eye opens it. He who made the hand straightens it. He who made the mind stabilizes it. And now this healing is available to us in a limited degree here as Christians on this earth, but will be fully realized in heaven. Even if the Lord came in today and completely healed whatever you've got going on in your body, you're still going to die. Your body will submit to health problems in the end. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he eventually died. In fact, some people believe that he died within a few months of when he was raised because the political leaders of the time wanted him killed because he was such a witness for the Lord's resurrection power. And so we will see this amazing healing when we have our new bodies. The book of Revelation talks about this amazing place of healing. We find it in chapter 22 and verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will be, there be anything accursed, but the throne of the Lord God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Part of the reason that we need health care reform is because of its expense. But notice how King Jesus here, uh, he is, his charge is a little bit different from the current one. Verse 17 tells us, The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. <laughs> I like that, without price. Better than the premiums you're paying now. The fourth thing we see here is he promises us powerful social programs. According to Wikipedia, social programs in the United States are welfare subsidies designed to aid the needs of the U.S. population. And these proposals began uh, over 100 years ago. Uh, these federal programs began with Theodore Roosevelt's New Nationalism. They expanded with Woodrow Wilson's New Freedom, Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal, uh, John F. Kennedy's New Frontier, and Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society. And currently there are over uh, 185 social programs in place that cost the taxpayers $2 trillion. Now that's 35% of the gross domestic product or the goods and services that we produce in our country. And the two big ones are Social Security, this is a program that's designed to ensure retirement, disability, and survivors uh, can have benefits if they're qualified. And Medicare, a national social program that guarantees access to medical uh, assistance to those who are over 65 or disabled. Now, federal social programs didn't really begin to gain prominence until the late 1880s, which might make you wonder, what did people do beforehand? <laughs> Well, the main thing they did was they turned to family members or the church for assistance. Let me know if you like Jesus' social program better than the one we have currently. Verse 7 here in Psalm 146 says that he gives food to the hungry. Verse 9 says he watches over the sojourner, the foreigner. 
He also upholds the widow and the orphan. And so Jesus is concerned with social issues. And he's given the church the mandate to be his hands and feet in these situations, to carry out this task, to minister to the poor and the downtrodden. Now, obviously, when Jesus comes to rule and reign over the earth, there's not going to be the need for social programs. Everything will be provided for us. But Americans are fortunate that we have welfare. In fact, we needed welfare when I was a kid. My dad was a deadbeat dad. He left when I was four years old. And I ate plenty of government cheese, (laughs) grilled cheese sandwiches. But for many in this country, uh, these programs here are not, uh, they're not enough for you. They're not enough to meet the needs that you have. And especially in foreign countries, they don't have the kind of programs that we have here. And so that's why it's so important to have missions like My Father's Home where we give to those situations so that the needs can be met for the people in their current situation. And this is a part of Jesus' platform as well. And finally, he promises us new term lengths. In 1947, the leaders of our government did a very wise thing. They amended the Constitution, uh, placing term limits on the most powerful position, the presidency. And when we, like a certain president who's in power, that can be frustrating because we think, well, how much can they really get done in four years? But if we don't like a president, we can console ourselves, well, it's only four years, right? Or eight if they get reelected. When Jesus comes to reign on the earth, he is not going to have a term limit. The Bible tells us that his rule and reign will have no end. And I'm excited for that because it's a righteous rule. We're not going to go, well, he's got some problems going on. Maybe we need a new leader. No, it's righteousness. Everything that he does is for the benefit of his people. It's for his own glory. He doesn't have to contend with a Congress that's against him. Just imagine how much is going to get accomplished in the new earth. And I want to be a part of that. And the amazing thing is, we as Christians will be a part of that. The Bible tells us that we get to rule and reign with him in Romans 8, 17. We get to be part of the cabinet of Jesus. That's amazing. In conclusion here this morning, this sermon is not meant, by the way, to distract you from the importance of being involved in American politics. Don't come to me after the service and say, Pastor Scott, you're against politics. I'm not against it. I'm just trying to put it in its proper place. People cannot save us. The government is not going to save you. Even though God instituted it for order in this life, ultimately he's the one that's going to bring salvation to you. And for all of you who are going to vote, I'm glad that you're going to exercise your right to your opinion about who you think is the best ruler in this country. But remember, the ultimate trust that we have is in the creator of the universe. We trust in King Jesus. And we say, give us strength that we need and the wisdom that we desire to continue to live in this world until you come for your permanent reign. The analogy that I like to use is in regard to the Babylonian captivity. When Israel was captured by Babylon, they were brought to a foreign nation, and they were there serving alongside of the other people. 
They weren't citizens of it, but they were there helping it. Your citizenship is not here. You're a citizen of heaven who lives in captivity in this world. And you've been called to interact with the systems of the world right now. And so if you can benefit those, great, benefit them. That's what Daniel did. He was advisor to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so he was there trying to improve things through the wisdom that God gave him. But don't think mainly about your American citizenship. Think about your heavenly citizenship and how your interaction with this life now can bring more people into that kingdom. Interact with politics. We need to. It's a necessary evil in this life. But always remember where your true home is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the fact that we are citizens of heaven right now, in this moment. And Lord, we are interacting in this world. Give us wisdom. But Lord, help, help us to put politics in its right place. Because as you said, we cannot trust in princes or the Son of Man. And so Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.